Genre. Welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Return of the King, one lost podcast recording at a time. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. I'm Norman Mitchell. (sighs) And today we're re-recording Minute 89, so uh, bear with us. Um, uh, So Minute 89 (laughs) starts with Gollum saying, see, see, he wants it for himself. And it ends with Gollum turning away from Sam as he and or Gollum and Frodo go up the stairs. And Sam is left alone to cry. Left alone with his his sadness. Yes. Yep. So this minute is kind of a doozy. And I am very disappointed that we lost all 45 minutes of our audio. But yep, stuff happens. We should really sacrifice an avocado or whatever that. <laughs> so the the spirit of podcasting can go. Oh, an yes. avocado! Thanks. Thanks. Fresh avocado. All right, where do we want to start? I mean, at the beginning, I suppose. Okay. We get this incredibly insidious look from from Gollum peeking out behind Frodo, and delivering his first line of the minute. Yes. Frodo turning around to look at Sam like he believes what Gollum just said. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sam continues to be angry, his reaction, and then Frodo's just like, it's not him. It's you, Sam. So, if we... I know that we talk a lot about the ring being mental illness. Mm. Um, I feel like that umbrella also covers Gollum to a certain extent. Because Gollum is, or I don't know, Smeagol, Gollum, this this um, creepy motherforker is. I mean, he's literally poisoning Frodo against Sam. That's yeah. That's what he's poisoned you against me. Yeah, yeah. So he's a liar. I because sometimes when I'm feeling uh, depressed or anxious, Mm. um, it feels like this scenario, like. Like you have a little Smeagol in your head? Yeah, kind of. Like, just like saying things that are patently untrue. Mm. And my brain's just like, oh yeah, that seems legit. And <laughs> It does not seem legit. No. And even if I'm not interacting with somebody, because like, it's like left brain, right brain thing, right? Like left brain is like, everyone hates us. And, you know, nobody likes to be around us. And I'm just yeah. like, oh yeah same and then right brain is sam being like what that's a lie like guys guys guys, no (laughs) yeah no untrue these 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 things are demonstrably false yes but like when i'm there even though it is demonstrably false you just can't see it no yeah yeah uh smeagol is like the the physical manifestation of intrusive thoughts yeah 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 just there to be like, yeah, just, you know, do it. See? 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 We told you. Yeah. I said it would be like this. Yeah. 
And now it is. I don't know. Do, do you feel like that sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. I get like weird intrusive thoughts sometimes and I'm yeah. down on myself. Yeah, like you have no friends and nobody actually likes being around you. And I'm just oh, like, yeah. oh I'm... yeah, okay. That seems legit. Even though like I would be saying such a thing, like voicing such a thing to you or like our close friends. Right. You know, just recently <laughs> I meet people for the first time and then as soon as they're gone, I'm just immediately to myself or aloud. Ah, I bet they didn't like me. Uh <laughs> You know, despite spending several hours with you or however right. long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's like, ah, oh, they didn't like me. <laughs> they must hate me. They must hate me. Everyone must hate me. <laughs> so I'm awful. But yeah. Yeah, this this minute is a, is a good illustration of the the way that the ring weighs on Frodo. Yeah. And the way that Gollum and Smeagol are able, to, mostly Smeagol, I still believe, is able to kind of twist the twist the knife, so to speak. Really, really bring Frodo to the to the limit of what he can deal with. Yeah. To the point where Frodo looks at this situation and says, for the most part, even now, Smeagol is still the one actively cooperating. Sam is the one fighting. Sam needs to go. Mm. Kind of like a like a path of least resistance sort of thing. Yeah, or... because that he can't deal with it. Oh, I see. He, he needs to just choose the path of least resistance. And the the ring is manipulating that choice because it would be just as simple to tell Gollum to go. Right. Because once they're at the top of these stairs and through the pass, they're in Mordor. And then from you there... Just head toward the... From there, they just got to get to the volcano. Yeah. Like once they get to the top of these mountains and can see their way down, that's it. They don't need Gollum anymore. Illustrated by the rest of this movie after Kirith Ungol. Yeah. They didn't need Gollum to get to Mount Doom. Right. I mean, I don't remember if it was in the stuff that we lost or stuff earlier this week where we were talking about, like, the ring wanting to keep Gollum around because it knows where Gollum stands. Yeah, I, I that was... I don't remember. Uh, I Actually, that was for the... Wednesday's episode, the episode oh, before this one. Nice. Okay. We talk about that a little. Legit. Yeah, uh, I, f- I feel like that's the case here because, like, you know, it would just be, it would be just as easy to get rid of Gollum, but the ring doesn't want that. No, because the ring's just, well, Gollum doesn't want me destroyed. Right, right, right. So. So if they fight over the ring, over the crack of Mount Doom, and Sauron notices, I'm going to get home. Yeah. Sweet deal. Mm-hmm. So the ring doesn't want Sam around. Sam is dedicated to the destruction of him. Yeah. Just get rid of this. Cast aside your cursed jewelry, well, Frodo. I, <laughs> I also think that, like, not only is Sam dedicated to... Well, Sam is dedicated to the destruction of the ring, but first and foremost, he's dedicated to Frodo. And I think the ring finds that in itself threatening. Yeah. Because he Sam is so selflessly dedicated to something else. Right. And the ring can't grapple with this yeah and like sauron's like what like yeah <laughs> that makes no sense right we we also talked about with our guests yesterday the the idea that the ring either yesterday or tuesday that the ring can't really uh, understand how to tempt sam so i'd rather just get rid of him yeah because it doesn't know how to corrupt how sam feels about things right she's like oh you want you want a garden you want a garden you only you only care about making sure other things I flourish just, I-, I just I'll give you the best damn garden there is. Take it. Take it. (laughs) 
I just imagine um, Sauron in his like bionicle armor with like a giant trench coat, and he's just like, "Hey, kid, you want a garden? Like that's how he like want to buy a trowel? Yeah, yeah. Like that's the way that he tempts people is just like Sauron in all of his weird pointy Maiar glory, just like just shows up with a trench coat, yeah, full of whatever it's it is like, you're buying. Psst, hey, you remember that weird YouTube video? Like you want to buy a ghost or whatever. <laughs> hey, you want to buy a ghost? Same energy. Yeah, pretty much. That is the same energy. <laughs> just shows he just shows up. He's the salesman for Resident Evil Four, which I know you haven't played. But he's he's a really creepy looking dude. He shows up. He's got like a mask on and a trench coat. Oh, and every time you see him, he's just like, "What are you buying?" Oh, that's funny. What yeah. are you selling? Yeah, basically, I think I think that's how Sauron operates. Yeah, because he literally can't grasp the idea of. Of um, selflessness. Of wanting to spend your energy making sure something else flourishes. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds Sauron, fake, but okay. Yeah, Sauron does not understand because he has fallen far from his, his original Myrdom. Why, um, this is completely, not completely off topic, but, um, off minute. Why do Myr like pointy things so much? I, I don't know. Like, look at, um, look at Saruman with his, like, weird pointy staff. And his pointy house. And his pointy house. Gandalf. He found got his, that pointy house. Gandalf like, got his, his pointy hat. Uh, Sauron has his pointy everything. Yeah, everything's pointy. Uh, did Radagast have pointies? No. He has Rustavelt rabbits. Oh. They got pointy ears? I mean, I guess. Boom. <laughs> pointies. Radagast the brown. <laughs> Radagast is an outlier and should not have counted. It's just the seventh doctor gone into hiding for a little while. Yeah, basically. Loses his way. Doesn't understand what he's doing. <laughs> Somewhere in Mirkwood, there's a police box. I could have sworn I'm supposed to take a left and then I'll end up on Gallifrey. Um, this mm. is not... Well, they need help, I guess. Just just a couple thousand years later, hundred thousand years later. Just I don't know what's... <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Right. This place has some god and they're just like, hey, you need to go do this. <laughs> you. I like you. Come stay and help. But yeah, dude, Meyer and pointy things. Yeah, I guess. Meyer. So I have a, this is something that I, I wonder about sometimes because I don't know if this is anywhere and I can't, I can't remember if it's anywhere. If we continue our read through Silmarillion, maybe eventually there's a reference to it. But, uh, I wonder what, what Sauron was originally created to do as a Meyer. Uh, because they all have purposes, a right? purpose. Yeah. So I wonder what he was originally created to do. And so what Sauron does, the magic that Sauron has, one, he's a crafter. Like he, he understands the inner workings of things. Yeah. Really well to the point where he can, you know, produce magical artifacts of undetermined power. The, the rings and but the, he didn't and the make stuff. those, those fancy jewel things right the silmarils no that's fanor okay fanor ah, made those. yes fanor the the oh, the most fanor. bastardly elf to ever live <laughs> so so sauron is a crafter is an understander of the inner workings of things and his like his big magical power as a as a corrupted Maiar is the ability to dominate other things yeah to bend the will of things to him yeah he's a smith Right, including a smith of people. Yeah, so that tracks. His original purpose was either 
someone who was subservient to Allah. Or I wonder if he was originally supposed to be keep, and especially I think this keeps with uh, Tolkien's uh, Catholicism and drawing parallels between like Melkor and Sauron with Lucifer. Mm. If he was supposed to be a tender of men, bend their spirits to proper purposes to make sure that they flourished in the beginnings of their lives. That's why he has the ability to bend the spirits of things. I thought that like the whole thing with like elves and then um, humans was that like humans were special snowflakes because they could take their destinies in their own hands. Yeah, they have free will. Right. But I mean, and they can die. And they can die. And elves don't <laughs> die. They they have an they have some kind of an actual afterlife beyond dying, and elves don't. Yeah, it's just you know the thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So I I was thinking about that. I was just like because his power is so tied to uh, the ability to dominate and corrupt life yeah. and the will of life. I wonder if his original purpose wasn't to make sure the will of things flourished. Oh, and then he just didn't get it. And then Melkor corrupted him and reversed his purposes. Maybe. And that's how we have the Sauron we know. Yeah, because there's um, there's a Valar that is the her whole thing is um gardens basically, right? Right. Maybe Sauron is originally one of her servants, or he was supposed to have been. Yeah. And Melkor turned him, corrupted huh. him, inverted his purpose. Yeah. That makes um, the temptation of Sam then very interesting. Yeah. If it is supposed to be like a corruption of his original purpose. Because at some, like, if, I don't know, if if he had any awareness at all of his original purpose, I feel like he can understand it on some level. Maybe like a very surface level. Right, but Melkor would have turned it, would have turned him by, like, uh... I guess the way that you would turn that in someone and make it fun- a fundamental change is corrupting their belief to thinking that their want to see other things flourish is in fact selfish, which yeah. is kind of what the temptation of Sam is trying to do. Yeah. But it doesn't work because ultimately it isn't selfish and Sam doesn't believe the propaganda. I don't know. I mean, like, okay, I've talked about, we've talked about gardening gardening before on here, right? Yeah. I am so bad at keeping plants alive yeah um to the point where i have three succulents that have survived for over a year now and i am so proud of it so maybe it's kind of like that like taking pride in your work to like an extreme Mm. like i am these plants god because i am here and water these plants once a week they are subservient to me. Like, you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah, and Melkor was able to push Sauron over the edge and be like, you can do that with people, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I don't actually think that about the plants. I'm just saying, like, Sauron might. Right, but maybe that's the thing that Melkor, like, pushed him over the edge with. Is like, you can do that with people, too, you know. I absolutely feel that way about chocolate chip cookies. They're mine. I brought them into this world. I am going to take them out. <laughs> One at a time in little bites. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. No, that's... Yeah. Interesting. And I'm still sad that we don't get a temptation of Sam in this. I don't yeah. know where it would be. I know this movie is four hours long, but... Right, because like, it would it would have to be... You would have to insert, like, 15 minutes, 20 minutes from now. 
I don't know that it needs to be 15 minutes, though. It's not 15 minutes in that animated movie. It's like over five. If, maybe it feels like there's 15 a, minutes. There's like a song and there's he's on a horse. Oh, true, true, stuff. true. It's just, it goes, in the animated thing, it goes too far. Like in the book, I think it's it's two paragraphs, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well. Just sees Mordor turned into a garden and he's just like, oh, yes, this is mine. Yeah, because like. Then he looks at the ring and he's like, slaps it on the wrist. You stop that. Because I think it speaks to a fundamental part of um, who Sam is. Yeah. And um, I think that also is interesting taken into context for, like, the fate of the ring bearers. Like, yeah. Sam is the last one because he's taking care of, like, their legacy. Like, he is, he's, he's like, selfishly, selflessly, you know, like, finishing the work and then Yes, yeah. and then he goes. Right. As an old hobbit, having lived out his life in Hobbiton. Yeah. He's I not... don't know if that makes sense. I'm just rambling. Yeah, yeah, he's, I mean, he tends to the, he tends to the story. Yeah. He makes sure that the story is told. Right. So that other people know what the ring bearers sacrificed. Mm-hmm. And Sam doesn't really think of himself as a ring bearer. No, but But he, he's given the offer. He is, um, but he's in charge of, like, that legacy and i you know tending that garden right thinking about it i don't know if it's explicit that sam uh goes into the west or if it's one of those things it's just like it is said that sam went into the west like the way it's placed yeah in the in the appendices i have to go look because now i'm curious because i don't remember if it's explicitly laid out like that in the appendices or not and i'll have to go look at some point yeah and, i don't and, remember and think about that it feels explicit in my head yeah but but I could see it being like the the keepers of the book, of, the Red Book of Westmarch, like say that the the writer passed yeah, into yeah, the yeah, West yeah. or whatever. You know, that some, seems like a very mythos. Yeah, that's that sounds like a Tolkieny thing. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure now. I'd have to to go take out the book in the appendices and go look, but I'm not doing that in the middle of recording. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and then Frodo tells Sam to go home. Yeah, where the heck is he supposed to go? Yeah. Like, come on, guys. And the Shire theme plays. It's so weird. And it's just like, oh, why are you? Why are you trying to make me feel sad with the Shire I, theme? I, I don't like it. I I mean, it's, I mean, it's effective. It's a jarring choice. I think it's misplaced. You think so? Yeah, just because just because he says home, I think, and mm. it feels obvious in a way that I don't like. I think this is like the like one instance where I don't agree with the score. I think this confuses. Not confuses. I think that this the use of the score here maybe uh, muddles Sam's character a little. Because it sounds, especially when Frodo and Gollum are ascending the stair, it sounds so triumphant in a way that is, uh, or at least to me it does. And but then it's like it's paired with Sam sobbing. Yeah, and it's that really weird, weird look from Gollum, and Gollum makes like a couple weird noises. Yeah. And he heads and he turns and leaves. Yeah. It's the, that last look from Gollum, I just, I think is so fascinating. Yeah. Because it's not, he's not looking at him like, oh, look what I did. Or he's not, he's not angry. He's not smug. It's almost like pitiful. Yeah. It looks slightly pitiful or maybe it's not even, it's not even pity. Maybe it's shame. To me, it reads like as disgust almost. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. It's. It's a really interesting look. Like, originally, they talk about it in the commentary real quick. Originally, it was going to be, like, a smirk there. Yeah. But uh, I think it, it's either Fran or Philippa was just like, no, that's not right. Because we get a smirk from Gollum here. 
Yeah, we get it earlier on. Yeah. After the creepy smile, and then, uh, and then when Sam and Frodo have a little bit of an exchange, and Smeagol's looking up at him, smiling like, "Yeah, see, look at you, you're doing good." Yeah. This is great. But yeah, this is yeah that last look from from Gollum is really interesting because I don't, I'm not sure what it's supposed to mean. It's very open ended. Yeah. Is he? Does he feel shame? Does he feel disgust? Does he feel pity? Was that one of the ones? Because some of the or all of the expressions were based off Andy Circus, or I think pretty much all the expressions are. Yeah. Okay. They don't, and he he doesn't even mention it in the cast commentary. Yeah, because like when it comes to animation, nothing's most, a mistake. Most choices are very deliberate. Right. So like to have this be so subtle. Right, so kind of vague. It's it's yeah, odd. It's yeah. an odd choice, and I'm really not sure what to take from it because you, I you can read it a bunch of different ways, and I don't know if maybe Smeagol was expecting a more like storming out, angry reaction right, from Sam, more more of a fight, which which I guess leads credence to my reading of it being like mild disgust. Mm. I mean, it still could lead to it being like pity or like shame because maybe he thought based on previous his previous encounters with Sam in this movie that Sam would like angrily storm off, fight a little more, and they would part in a more a more vicious way. Yeah. And then they don't and he sees Sam collapse into this sobbing heap alone and he just kind of sees some kind of weird reflection of himself. Yeah, yeah, like maybe it reminds him of himself. Yeah, reminds him too much of when he first went into the cave in the Misty Mountains. Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. Because we see that, we see like a shot of him collapsed in the same kind of way, sobbing way at the beginning of this movie. Right, right. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. So like maybe that's supposed to be kind of a callback and it's this weird, it's like a visual callback that was just like snuck in there and just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's really... It's just really fascinating as a choice yeah. for for Smeagol or Gollum or whatever in this moment. I think we're on to something there about it reminding him being too uncomfortably close to what he's experienced. Yeah. And yeah. whether or not he is like... Okay with that. Yeah. Because one of the, the big crux to Gollum's whole thing, Smeagol's whole thing in this story... And it's from way back in Fellowship is whether or not there's any good left in him and whether or not his role to play ultimately will help anything. And I mean, that's the that's the question of you should be and the the movie should help you ask and answer that question across Smeagol's arc, because that's the question we're ultimately that we are asked as the audience that question by Gandalf during that conversation with Frodo. Like we're we're primed to think about Smeagol's arc in that way. Yeah. Ultimately, whether is he ultimately is there good in him, and ultimately will he help out in this narrative? So we should be looking for either a a confirmation or repudiation of that in the the way that his arc draws out. So and this this scene is interesting because you would take it generally as a repudiation of the idea that there's good in him. He planned this out. He schemed for right. days. I mean, like, the first scene of the movie, I think, is a complete rejection of the fact that there's good in Gollum because we see him murder his friend slash cousin. Yeah. I don't... Yeah, and very coldly. Yes. 
But then, and then that, but that plays against all the stuff we saw in Two Towers that was humanizing and getting getting us to getting him to earn sympathy. Yeah. In Two Towers, so just that's true. The the two parts of Smeagol's story in the in the movie timeline do different things with him. Yeah. Because in Two Towers, they spend so much time on building sympathy for Gollum, only to pull the rug out from under you in the last few minutes of that movie. Right. And then to build to him being crueler and crueler in this one. So it, it's interesting to look at it like that. And to me, it's, uh, I, I like the idea of scrutinizing the stuff in Return of the King where we are supposed to grow like colder and angrier with Gollum as the story goes on. Yeah. To look for little places where it's like, well, is that evidence that some of what we saw in Two Towers is real? I don't know. Like some of this behavior, like is this, is it legitimate? Some of this stuff that like Smeagol was doing were just like, oh, that's, that's really nice of him. Or like, that's, that's, you know, and you're just like, oh, isn't he adorable? Yeah. Well, maybe it's like, I haven't thought about this in years, but um, maybe it's kind of like a, uh, a, like a paradise lost problem where mm. like you spend the first five sections of your poem um, humanizing and romanticizing your antagonist. Yeah. And then you have to figure out how to turn it so we're not rooting for this guy. Yeah. Because he's he's the villain. Right. So I think that... I think ultimately uh anti-hero stories struggle with that a lot. Yeah. Cuz I mean like have you read Paradise Lost? Not since I want to say It's okay if it's okay to say no. I only read it because I, read, I took, like, a class on I didn't Milton. read the whole thing. I read... The first part is the best anyway, where he's, like, talking about all the lieutenants of Satan. But, yeah, yeah, um, we read... It was... Uh, I don't remember how much of it was in it, but a big section of it was in my British Text and Context book. Yeah. And we read that. But, like, legit, like, the first third of that poem is... Is like, you know, getting you to kind of be on the side of Lucifer. And then when he goes to the garden to, you know, damn humanity. Right. <laughs> you're so, you're suddenly supposed to just be like, ooh, boo this man. But right. we've spent like so many hundreds right. of thousands of lines talking about him. You know, I couldn't quote it to you, but I've always thought the description of his frozen throne from Paradise Lost is so cool. Yeah. No, all the stuff in hell with his lieutenants is, like, the best part of that poem. Yeah, but... <laughs> I couldn't quote it to you, but it's just, like, it's an image that has always stuck with me. Because, like, yeah, he's like, I'm going to I'm gonna break out of hell and I'm going to see what's see what's up here. And you're like, yeah, man, you go. You do that. You, you rebel against that authority figure. And then, you know, he's the bad guy. And then he's the bad guy. So, <laughs> duh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but I think... I think the um, the dichotomy of, like, Two Towers, Smeagol slash Gollum versus Return of the King, Smeagol slash Gollum kind of falls in that same camp where... They're just like, oh, did we go too far? We, yeah, we need to, like, humanize this person or this 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 character so... Right, because, I mean, that part of their... That part of the emotional arc with Frodo and Sam doesn't work without humanizing so Smeagol heavily Gollum. on yeah. Smeagol, yeah. Because you you need to create... Well, even this, too. Like... Yeah. Right. I mean, it makes the betrayal feel more real and, and earned if you actually felt like you could trust them. Yeah. That's 
that's how it works. That's how you build top 10 anime betrayals all time. Top 10. <laughs> Just like that sort of stuff, you know, like you, you, you it have to. It was me all along, Naruto. I don't <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's the stuff you have to do, right? You you have to trust the person for it to feel like a betrayal. Otherwise, yeah. you're just like, well, of course he betrayed Right, them. right. But we know, like, I don't know. See, what I think Two Towers does is it makes you believe that Gollum is the evil one and Smeagol is the one you can trust. And then but it then flips re- that. And then re- but then Return of the King is just like, no, you can't, you can't trust, trust either, either of them. them. Oh, okay, that makes... Yeah. Like, Smeagol, it, maybe it wasn't an act, but Smeagol's interests are still completely selfish. Yeah. And the closer he gets to Mordor and the ultimate destruction of the ring... Well, that's more... why the that's why he was so easily corruptible too, because Sauron slash the ring was just like, hey, that's a kindred spirit. Yeah, he's so he's so self interested. Yeah, and the closer he gets to Mount Doom, and the reality that these two hobbits are going to destroy the ring, the Smeagol gets craftier and craftier and more devious right because he has to yeah but i still think the real turning point for him and one of the things that makes it makes smeagol seem more evil than Gollum, is i think when sam hit him in the head with that pot this is all just smeagol planning revenge for that one thing oh so then what does that look then like heh. but it's not it's not it's not self-congratulatory i don't think I I think it's so if Gollum is supposed to be his more his like id self, yeah. Then maybe that look is Gollum. Oh, maybe. Like, look at that sad sack of potatoes. Yeah, just like oh man, huh. what a piece of work the guy. The, the, what what a piece of work I am. Look what I did to this guy. Yeah, I yeah I don't know. Because if Gollum is Gollum and Smeagol are not actually supposed to be in sync with each other. Yeah. They're not, they're supposed to be at odds all the time. That's how they've survived. Yeah. Is because one of them hasn't been able to, one of them hasn't been able to always be the one in charge. Like, I don't think necessarily that it is the Gollum personality the whole time we see him in The Hobbit. I thought. Because Gollum, so like across the story of Lord of the Rings, right? Gollum, quotation marks, the the Gollum side of things. Doesn't strike me as the Riddler type. That seems more like a Smeagol like thing to thing. Thing, Interesting. me. Interesting. Yeah, I guess. I've just never thought about it that way because we spent so much time talking about, like, when Frodo names him. Right. Yeah. Because Smeagol's the planner. Smeagol's the one that thinks ahead. Gollum's the impulsive survival instinct. Okay. I don't know. I just haven't thought about it that way because, yeah. like, to me, like, his... Smeagolness is unlocked because of what Frodo says to him. I think it just becomes more aware. Aware. I think it, it's him being named Smeagol creates more of a separation between those two parts of him actively. But I think there was always some kind of a passive separation between the two. Oh, okay. But him being renamed allows the Smeagol personality to push the Gollum one away for a while. Yeah. Completely. Just push it out for a bit. Okay. That makes sense to me. Interesting. Yeah. You know, scrutinizing things more. You come up with things to look back on and be like, maybe that wasn't quite right. Yeah. It's cool. I like the journey. (sighs) Me too. Though I'm feeling that, like, tear-streaked, like, dirty, just 
sad Sam look in this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, out of the frying pan into the fire. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, tell us what you think. Tell us your Gollum theories. I like hearing Gollum theories. I think this is the first time we haven't argued about Gollum. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like, actively? Um, I don't know. That's interesting. So <laughs> mm. Usually when it's a big Gollum episode, you're always just like, here's this outlandish thing. And I'm just like, that's nonsense. Or like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, so, but anyway, if you're active on Facebook, um, check out our Facebook listener group, The Fellowship of the Mic. Send us a tweet. Send us an email. Send us a telegram. I don't know if you can, but... A singing telegram? No, I don't want that. Keep that. Uh, Just about Gollum. No, I'm good. I am all set. Thank you. The a only way I will accept... No. <laughs> the only way I will accept a singing telegram if it's Frodo of the Nine Fingers. Why does he have nine fingers? Um, so yeah, we'll be back tomorrow, hopefully with our guests. I don't know, we should edit sooner, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> have a good Thursday. Bye.